All right. How's it going, everybody? We are back with another Trevor Shimmy collab episode. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a number of topics. Uh, first, we're going to talk. Uh, Jimmy's got some diet hacks he wants to share with us. And then we are briefly going to touch on uh, soreness and an indication. Is it a valid indication for muscle growth and progression? And then we're going to answer some questions as well. So how are you guys doing tonight? Good. How are you? Amazing. Good. Still waking up, but I will be awake mm -hmm. in 20 minutes with this coffee. Yeah. Hey, you are energy. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I have uh, yeah. three quick diet hacks to start us off. Uh, this may not apply to you. It may apply to you. I could tell you it's applying to me right now as I'm dieting. So hopefully this helps you. So tip number one, if bread and uh, if you can eat bread while you're dieting, I have found that toasting my bread and essentially making the bread more arduous to eat and chewing more um, has led this to be a really good diet hack for me to eat less. Whereas if my bread is like really cakey and soft, I want to eat more of it. That might just be a me thing. I know some people have the opposite experience, but that's just me. Tip number two, dry cereals, especially whole grain dry cereals without milk. So frosted mini wheats come to mind, oatmeal squares, if you know what that is, honey nut Cheerios, if, if you can handle that. Um, kashi cereal, any whole grain, once again, same principle, if it requires a lot of chewing, a lot of work to do, you may eat less. And obviously these things are chock full of fiber, so it might be a good idea. And the third tip for you is if you can delay your first feeding time of the day, this might serve you well. So a lot of people wake up in the morning, not ravenously hungry, but either full and bloated or just neutral. So if you feel full and bloated, it's obviously intuitive. But if you wake up kind of neutral, if you can delay that first meal for even 30 minutes or 40 minutes, you're buying yourself a larger feeding window later in the day. And most of us, as far as I know, usually get hungry in the afternoon and the evening time. So finding a way to bias a little bit more of those calories to later in the day and not as much earlier in the day, especially as you wake up, you're usually working or getting to the business of training or whatever. Um, this might be a good idea. Those are the three tips that I have. Use them if you will. If they don't apply, well, guess it's fuck me. And that's it. Trevor, do you have anything uh, to add to those tips or any, um, you know, um, So uh, the first tip Shimmy has, I actually have the opposite experience where uh, toasting bread makes it more palatable to me and I would want to eat more of it. Um, so that one you might have to play with. But the, the second tip in particular um, of basically having food that's harder to eat uh there is actually research on it and i'm sitting here trying to think of the word and viscous the more viscous a food is um i don't even think that's the right word but the easier it is to over consume so viscous is like thick effort, and fatty the more yeah it's i'm thinking like mashed potatoes even if you don't put it's like just a process to a degree it, yeah yeah, the, so it's I that know. I, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that with cereal, and Shimmy and I have had this conversation, if it gets soggy, you know, you can eat more of it in a quicker period of time. The more you have to sit there and chew and chew and chew, the longer it takes, your jaw gets tired, you get a freaking jaw pump, and you're like, all right, I'm done eating. So it's definitely, that's a really good tip. Um, and as far as the <laughs> pushing your meal back, that's actually a really good idea, and I, I suggest a lot of people do that. And even if, um, like, if you're not training in the morning in particular, it can be really a good idea to just have a shake in the morning 
Yeah. Yeah. As yeah, a absolutely. way to bias, you know, more calories in the day. Uh, I will say I've, I have a couple of clients who are people that are morning eaters. Mm-hmm. So just as a, a slight addendum to Shimmy's tip is find when you're the most hungry and look at ways you can bias your intake to those times. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That, I mean, that can be a lifesaver on a cut. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Um, one thing, Word. this is really particular, but <laughs> since Shimmy said that about uh, eating dry cereals, I have a way in which I eat mini wheat when they're dry. I like bite the frosting off and then I eat the mini wheat. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, that's that's, funny. that's, that's funny. exactly how, but I, but it, it definitely, <laughs> I can see it being a, a benefit of like, you know, you have a bag full of your serving of mini wheats and you just, have to chew each bite individually. I used to do this with, um, in prep, I would take potatoes and cut them into like fry slices and it would, I would eat way slower because I would take my fry, dip it in some like reduced sugar ketchup and then eat it instead of, you know, taking all of my potatoes and just shoveling them in. Oh, you mean, um, so you can... mean like this, for example? Yes, exactly. Like that. Are you eating that right now? You're making that right potatoes now? going in my microwave right now. I'm just <laughs> glad you didn't say you were going to eat that raw. No, 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 no. Another no. diet. This podcast, has, this podcast has to get a little bit more popular before I start doing weird eating things. Hey, I did that on a TikTok. Did you see that one? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I remember that. You one. were, whew, you were braver than I was. I couldn't the do crutch. that. <laughs> was for the crutch. Frosted, frosted mini wheats are great dieting food. Personally, I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but those oatmeal squares, a lot of life is quaker oatmeal it's got 44 grams of carbs five grams of fiber nine grams of sugar um it tastes great and you can eat a lot of it um i have no idea what that is yeah you need to oatmeal you squares, the oatmeal flavor, oh yeah cinnamon, yeah i love those cinnamon and uh brown sugar they all taste relatively the same honey is my ish and highly recommend i'm not sponsored they don't by quaker yet we're in talks they take a while to get soggy too they definitely are a lot crunchier of cereal yeah, they're they're my favorite like healthy cereal. Yeah. If I'm massing, I want soggy cereal because I prefer soggy cereal. And if I'm gonna eat that much, it's the only way I'm getting through it. That's true. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh so I, I wanted to get your guys' input. I sent a um a little uh infographic from Lane Norton into our chat, and uh it was regarding soreness and um, I still think, you know, maybe in our circle, this isn't as much of, um, you know, an, a topic of confusion, but I still do think I see people associating um, uh, soreness uh, as an indication for if they had a good workout or an indication of, of muscle growth. So I know you guys probably have uh, some experience with this topic and, and probably uh, some idea about you know, where soreness lies on as far as muscle growth. So I just wanted to get your input uh, on on that and your opinion on that. Trevor, you want to lead the way or you want me to? Uh, yeah, I'll take it. Start. Okay. Um, so I, the whole soreness has gone back and forth. If you've been around for a while, um, you know, years ago, it was, you have to be sore all the time. Um you know, you didn't have a good workout if you're not sore. It wasn't effective if you're not sore. And then the pendulum swung in the other direction where like soreness means nothing. And, 
you know, if you're never sore, that's completely fine. And if you work out sore, that means nothing. And there's nothing, nothing you should even think about with soreness. And now we're a bit swinging back in the other way. And that's just how things go. Um, So soreness, it's not the greatest indication of if you had an effective workout, but it's definitely a good indication that you've stimulated the muscle you were trying to target. So that's one way to use soreness. So if you are telling me you're benching for growing your pecs and your pecs are never sore, I'm going to be a little skeptical about how much work you're actually doing for your pecs. Um, Now, that's not to say that you have to be sore, but if you say you never get sore, that definitely just kind of raises an eyebrow. Um, I don't think that you have to be sore to make gains. I don't think that it's a super indicative uh, thing of you are making progress. Uh, But I will also say that, you know, in my own experience, some of my greatest uh, gains have come from times when I was relatively consistently sore. Jimmy, you have anything to add? Yeah. So I would, um, I would agree with you. I would agree with you in what you just said. I've never seen a situation, truthfully, aside from lateral delts, where if you're getting a pump and you are improving in the gym, that you're never not experiencing soreness. I think the topic itself um, might be a little bit off because if you never experience soreness, I get the feeling that it's quite intuitive that you know that something is wrong. If you're getting sore all the time, it's probably an issue. But if you're never getting sore at all, it's either a volume, effort, or technique quality issue. Yeah, And I don't think that it would take a reasonably or even half reasonably smart individual to sniff that out. If your back is never getting sore ever, yeah, I think you could probably do better. And if your back is always getting sore, first of all, a great problem to have because it's easy to fix. And second of all, all you need to do is peel back the volume. But I don't think that soreness is a requirement, Mm -hmm. but you should experience it every so often if it's happening all the time bad if it's never happening likely also not the greatest unless it's a muscle group that doesn't lend itself to soreness and i think that this changes for most people but i also don't and i also think that lateral delts are the only one (laughs) i think every other body part in my experience with myself and with other people lateral delts are the only body part that i can think of off the top of my head that reliably, despite the pump, despite progress in a movement, despite high quality technique, generally don't get sore. Calves get sore, forearms get sore, abs get sore, chest, back, shit. Biceps for me get sore. So I know biceps get sore. Yeah. Triceps get sore, hamstrings. Yeah. I that that's that's what I would say. Do we, do we have any idea why we think that is? Is it just because that muscle doesn't lend itself to uh, stretch under load very well as opposed to other muscle groups? I think that's a big part of it. Um, uh, so, yeah, you'll find that with the muscles that tend to get the sore, sorest are the ones that you yeah. can get a big stretch under load with. Um, I think one reason why a lot of people struggle with back soreness is because unless you happen to have um, a machine that is designed in a way where you are getting a lot of tension in the stretch, most exercises we do are actually having the least tension there. 
So yeah. compared to like a squat, a hack squat, or an incline curl, if we want to use bison there, and that's where the movement is the hardest, uh, they're experiencing a lot more tension in that lengthened position. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that it's really important that like in this little infographic, and I guess it, these things tend to do well on social media, it's not as simple as muscle growth does not equal soreness, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's not black and white. It's again, somewhere in the middle where a lot of these things tend to lie and it may be an indication. One yeah. thing I've heard you mention before, Trevor, is that fatigue is also a good indicator for people who don't tend to get as sore. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little yeah. bit? That was one thing I was going to bring up. So a lot of people like uh, when I view soreness in myself and what I try to elaborate to my clients is uh, when I'm looking at soreness, I use soreness as just kind of a catch all term but I just want any kind of perturbation of the muscle. So that can be the feeling of like, sometimes people mistake this. They're like, Oh, my back never gets sore. But then like the day after they train, they have this feeling where like holding themselves upright is more difficult because their back is tired. Yeah. Or your, your delts. It's like your delts aren't sore. They're not sore to the touch. You can't stretch them. But if you go to reach up to a high shelf, you're like, Oh, your arm just feels heavy. And that's that's a perturbation. And that's all that soreness is, too. It's just a form of perturbation. Maybe right. more extreme. Maybe you are getting more inflammation and things like that. But at, at the end of the day, we're using these as a proxy. And the perturbation is what we're using as the proxy. Yeah. Sure, I would yeah. agree with that. But I, I, I think it's fair to say that using a perturbation as a proxy is likely most appropriate for... I guess the people in this podcast, right? So the mid-level intermediates and advanced, I wouldn't consider perturbations for beginners and early stage intermediates, but that might just be me. Well, I don't think beginners need to worry about it anyway. Um, yeah. If beginners are getting right. sore, they're probably doing too much volume if they're getting, because they're going to get sure. crazy sore. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I mm-hmm. think sometimes it, it is something that, you need to have a little bit more uh, like physical awareness, I guess, if that's mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Like, I feel like, think about it. yeah, I, I feel like I didn't develop that until like the last couple of years where I really started to pay attention to how things felt. Like I used to just lift and then that was it, you know, uh, but like really like, you know, where, you know, do, oh, where do I feel soreness or like, like um, sometimes I can some for one of them for me too, is sometimes like getting like cramps in a muscle too. Like sometimes my quads won't get sore, but they'll get kind of like shaky and like crampy. Uh, yeah. stuff like that right? yeah um, that's a huge yeah. one people overlook like if if you're if the muscle is following the session if you're getting fasciculations or cramping then you did a lot to that muscle right and you may not be sore but if you you know if you're going into a session like you're like oh my biceps aren't sore but you do this they kind of cramp up a little bit yeah i mean that i would say if they're still doing that that's probably worse than being sore if you're yeah. using a proxy of the like did you do too much did you do not enough um so yeah, yeah that that um muscle muscle cramping following a session or right after a session or whatever is a huge sign of the amount of stimulus you delivered yeah i think a, a practical thing uh for 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 example on my quads if i push the volume a lot um, I will get like 
debilitating soreness. Mm-hmm. He did, but but if I hey, Dylan, Dylan, yeah, what's up? You you cut out for a second. You said oh, in my pods, and that was it. Oh, okay. Um, am I good? You hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, in my quads, if I push them a little too hard, which I might do with the like last week of an accumulation, I get like debilitating soreness. But generally, the sweet spot is. You guys still there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Generally, the sweet spot is I get a really good pump in training, and my legs get really shaky and crampy during or after the session. Mm-hmm. But I don't actually get that that level of soreness. So that's just like a, a specific example for a specific muscle group, because I think it does tend to vary across muscle groups and then across uh, people as well. But I just wanted to throw that out there. All yeah. the way. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, this whole like, oh, your soreness doesn't equal a good, you know, an effective workout or soreness doesn't mean you're growing. It's like it, at the end of the day, the things that like we do that tend to make us sore are also the things that you know, we have to do to grow muscle, you know, if, if you're, if you're using good control in your centrics, if you're training through a full range of motion, if you're training at long muscle lengths, you're probably going to get some level of sore at some point. And if you are trying to avoid soreness or they, well, if you're trying to avoid soreness then you're probably leaving gains on the table. And if you're just like, Oh, well, soreness doesn't matter. So I'm not going to worry at all about soreness you might be leaving gains on the table from the other end where you're not allowing adaptation to fully take place yeah like you're talking about like training with like overlapping soreness potentially yeah or just not concerning yourself with it yeah if you're just like oh well whatever like i i don't care if i'm you know so sore i can barely walk i'm gonna train my legs anyway like hardcore tell me you're gonna have a good session like that yeah makes a lot of sense yep and um, one one more quick thing. Um, so muscle damage, like I've heard this. I think it was like probably in the RP book or something. Like if muscle damage, and this is kind of an extreme example, is like if muscle damage per se equaled muscle growth. Like if you hit your leg with a hammer, you know you would cause muscle growth, right? And it seems like that muscle damage isn't necessarily. It tends to correlate with growth, but we're not sure if it actually is causative. And I think that's where a lot of that confusion tends to, to occur, right. Where people think soreness, um, you know, is so, is so uh, is causative of, of muscle growth. It just may be yeah. an indication that you got a good stimulus. Yeah, sure. Sure. Cool. Well, we had some uh, questions. Um, Shimmy, you want me to pull these up, right? Yeah. Cool. Which ones do you want to talk about first? So you got a bunch here. I don't have any one. preference. I really don't that these are going to take an hour, but maybe they will. Okay. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Yeah, yeah let's just see. start reading them up. Uh, right titty feels weird. Oh, sorry. sorry, what's the at? The at isn't a name. It's N-F-P-G-U-I. Right titty feels yeah. weird at the stretch going into maintenance phase. Any precautions? Personally, I don't think there are many precautions because you're about to go into a maintenance phase. So just be mindful. Use lighter loads for the pushing movements that stretch that target area until the area feels fine. But you're going into a recuperative maintenance phase where the volumes are innately lower and you're not going to be pushing super hard. So if you're going to have any niggles, issues or problems, that's the prime time for that to happen. So I don't really think there are many 
Austin is just mind your pushing volume and keep it low and maybe train a little bit farther from failure than you would. So if you're going to be training anywhere from two to four reps in reserve on a maintenance phase, maybe for that pushing area, train three to five reps in reserve. And maybe when you're going into that maintenance phase, take a full week off of pushing before going into maintenance phase and it might clear it right up. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Uh, just uh, to put a finer point on what you said about using a lighter load is like a lot of times people are like, okay, I'm going to go to maintenance phase. So I'm going to train, you know, a bit heavier for strength. Like don't, if the muscle feels strained. Sure. And don't do things that hurt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If bench press hurts it and irritates it, don't do bench press. Fair point. And if you're also running into other movements that may just by transitive property hit that body part, passively like a cable pullover for example yeah. a dip example maybe even, even if, if you're squatting and reaching back for a bar sure sure so any positions that may be a little bit compromising for that body part don't do them or do them very very lightly yeah 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 i mean think about it you're going into a maintenance phase so your goal is to maintain right and if you can not uh incur injury or reduce injury that's also a, a big uh you know goal of a maintenance phase so like Trevor said, avoid anything that causes pain. Uh, you could probably make some modifications where you can still hit your chest without, uh, you know, causing any pain to that area and still maintain the muscle just fine. Whether that be finding different movements, which I'd probably recommend regardless going into a maintenance phase, uh, you know, and, and, and also, um, uh, making modifications to your current training. I think that's, that's totally fine. And, and rep range as well. Like you guys, I said. will, I will actually make a point on this to say, um, if, if it's specifically like a, a sh big stretch, um, this would be an instance, I would say partial ROMs would be yeah. useful. Limit your range of motion. It's a maintenance phase. You're not trying to grow muscle. Yeah. You just need enough. To, you know, to you, 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 you know, if you want to do a floor press or something, so you don't overstretch your pecs, your pecs are going to be just fine on maintaining through a maintenance phase. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's, it's not a full right. Full ROM all the time. There are limited applications where that is very useful, and that would be one yeah. of them for sure. Cool. If you had no intention to ever compete, how lean would you get, and why? Natty, if relevant. I think okay, so there, I got different answer because there's no there's no specific answer yeah, yeah, here. No, there's right? no, it's, uh, however yep. lean you want to be, and you don't hate your life. Right. So I'm going to take it like he asked me specifically. So sure. I'll answer that. Um, if you know what a natty bodybuilding show looks like, I would say maybe about one month out from that. In my experience, about one month out of a bodybuilding show, and my natty bodybuilders can chime in here in the comments or on Instagram if they see this, that's when things get real bad. That's when things get real uncomfortable. That's when the libido goes in the crapper. The food gets ridiculously low. The step count gets exotically high. The irritability gets exotically high. I, up until that point, I don't think that it's that bad. And if you're able to step out of the fitness context, the bodybuilding context, that's probably the most desirable look where anyone that sees you is going to be like, man, you look amazing. I think I, I would say it depends if you're talking about like a um, amateur natural. Yeah. When you're talking about like the pro level, like two to three months out. Sure. 
Sure. Like, yeah, they drag out those preps forever. forever. Like, yeah, yeah. That dude, like, doesn't have. He's a freaking walking anatomy chart. Sure, sure. But that, that's okay. a different. That's a different level. Yeah. So if I was to give you maybe something a little bit more fake specific, I would say maybe eight percent body fat is maybe where I would stop. But you know, those numbers don't mean jack shit, right? Yeah, it depends on the individual too. Yeah. Those. Uh, I would say visible abs. Uh, depending on your body structure, but like all of the abs, maybe a couple of veins in the abs, but not completely diced. Um, certainly not glute striations. I don't think um, that's likely where I, where I would cap it because also for what it's worth, if you're going to do the whole mass and cutting thing and you want to live your life like that, you taking a diet break after what I'm talking about, you're not going to actually have, such crazy diet fatigue, such crazy cravings when you stop at that point. And that's kind of yeah. cool. You know, you're not going to have any binge type situations. I mean, you're going to have to have to have some discipline. Absolutely. But you're not going to be absolutely ravenous at the end of the diet. Yeah. Albeit that you dieted properly. Yeah. I, I And, and I, it does somewhat depend on the individual. I think some people get Hormonal disruptions at different levels of body fat. Uh, it's probably going to sit around yeah. that range on yeah. average, right? Um, you're right. And, yeah. and and you're going to have to weigh that out, really. Like like I I like what Jimmy's saying, and I think that generally you don't want it to be affecting other areas of your life, especially if you're not really competing. You know, if you have a photo shoot, there, there's trade offs you need to make. But like if you stop it right before, you're still going to have a good quality of life. You know, you're still going to be able to maintain normal social relationships. It's not going to affect your your social life very much and your, you know, day-to-day -day life and work-life balance and stuff like that as much. So that would be a great spot, especially if you're chill, still trying to maintain those things in your life. I do want to add context for enhanced just because I am enhanced and I like to throw that out there. Um, that's a whole different story. And I think that um, people who choose to be enhanced that, you know, do this recreationally, uh, there's a lot less things that you, a lot less risk that you, I would say, you should generally take if you're going that route. Um, Cause I think competitively, a lot of bodybuilders take a lot more risk and uh, you can get a lot away with like, like fat loss at the end of the day is basic physiology, right? So oh, we lost Jimmy. Oh shit. We lost Jimmy. Yeah. Let me resend him the link. Evans. Hold on one sec for him. Hey, while, while Shimmy's gone, I think you're muted. While Shimmy's gone, um, do you ever, when you're overreaching, get pain in your neck? Yeah. Oh my God, it's happening right now. Yeah, I do. I, I actually, uh, now that I'm ancient and am in my 30s, uh, the other day, oh, like, well, like three <laughs> weeks ago, I woke up and my head was hanging off my pillow and so i just slept like that for whoever knows how long oh. and after like it's been almost a month and my neck is finally like starting to get better dude it's like debilitating i got it i i had to fly out to cali the other day and it happened i did a podcast the one i just uploaded this week and man it was like just my like it was making me flustered and i was like having a hard time getting my stuff ready for the trip like and then on the yeah. plane, on the plane, I had to like sit with my neck and it was horrible. 
is there since we're on that do you have any like remedies for that at all because like i don't know what to do like i just i just put a heat pack on it yeah shit um there's some this is have no fear have no fear i'm here my phone phone died my phone did figure that (laughs) my phone did death sorry good job yeah my phone did neck pain Uh, Specifically, ever get while overreaching? Um, neck pain. You can do neck pain. You can yeah. do some just static uh, neck exercises where you like do neck flexion, pushing in, extension, yeah, and side to side. Cars and that will actually alleviate some of it. Like there's um, a lot of things. Like if you get knee pain, you can do like a, a wall squat for sixty seconds, uh-huh. and it changes your perception of pain. And you can actually go through a bigger range of motion pain free after that. Yeah. Okay. Similar thing. So doing that kind of, yeah, I couldn't even move my neck this way. Like I was trying to do cars, you know, like when you do the rotation and I couldn't move it to the right side at all. Yeah. I couldn't like when mine was backed up, it's like, I, this is all I could do to look to my left oh side. Oh my God. Wait, That's wait, so brutal. Did you just say, wait, did you just say what? you were doing cars? Yeah. Controlled oh articular. My God. What is that? Controlled articular rotations. Is that what that stands for? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Arturo Spina, is that the guy? I don't know. Some uh, mobility guy taught it to me Holy a long time ago. Shit. So there was a period of time where I worked at a, uh, a personal training gym, mm-hmm. and this guy was so <laughs> obsessed with cars. Oh, my God. It was cars all day, every day, and not the Pixar movie. Oh, <laughs> no. Not the uh, 80s band either. No, not the fucking Hemi like V8. No, none of that. That's so funny that you were doing that. I haven't heard that phrase in a very long time. That's the only time I do it. Absolutely obsessed. It's the only time I do it is if I have like a neck injury. I because I don't know what else to do. Like it's just like something to get it moving. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is just keeping some movement. Yeah, actually training. So I did a giant set for delts the next day. Gone. Didn't feel it anymore. That was like that. Like blew my mind. Anyway, where where is your neck hurting you? Uh, it's like my trap. It always, every time I'm overreaching, it, it's just all the way up my whole neck, like here. Dylan, do you, uh, you have, Dylan, you want some, uh, an advanced yes. tip? Please. Okay. You have a girlfriend, right? Yes. Okay. Just go down on your girlfriend a lot. It'll just fix it right up. <laughs> fix, <laughs> fix, fix it up. Yeah. I mean, I, for the adults in the, for the adults in the room. I'll have to try it. Let's see if it actually helps. <laughs> I'm sure she will mind. It works. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mutual benefit. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. You're not doing She's it for her. Now. Like, doing like, it for no, you. Right, right. Overreaching again. <laughs> We're at week four again, babe. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, back on my other tan- tangent rant. Um, I was just saying that, yeah, uh, as an enhanced athlete, um, you don't really need to, to to take a lot. I don't think you need to take a lot of risk to get to eight percent, eight percent body fat. I think a lot of people have this idea that they need to like just take a ton of drugs. Uh, but like fat loss physiology is the same uh, whether you're enhanced or not. Obviously, you can have other things that can help you. Uh, but like you don't need to run a bunch of stuff to get really lean to get eight percent. I I barely touched anything uh, until I had gotten to the really lean stages of my contest prep. And I think that again, everybody has their own risk tolerance, but um, it's probably a smart idea to not. To just have enough in there to, you know, maintain 
you know, some strength, some level, uh, not not notice uh, acute performance degradations, maintain your normal horm- hormonal balance, and, and you'll probably be fine. So just mm-hmm. wanted to throw that out there. Word. Oh, more cool. questions here. Yeah. Um, okay, no mullet. What about porn star mustache? Is this uh, referring no, to another not- question? Applicable. That's not said. That's not applicable. Oh. Oh. Uh, often hit one to zero RER on first week of meso trying. No, oh, we, did we, did we, did yeah, we did that. We did that. We did do this one. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, so if you guys didn't what? catch us on the live, go to Dylan's page and watch the live. Maybe yeah. I'll put that up on uh, YouTube as well, just for. Yeah. Purposes. Why not? Um, what to do if a muscle with little exercise variations, calf slash forearms, is stale I love in this performance? Question. I, I love this question. Trevor, and this is a good question. Yes, this is actually a really good question. Yeah, so I'm going to tackle this one, then we'll see what you say. So if you don't have a lot of exercise variation because you're, you either can't think of it or maybe your gym just doesn't have a lot of the machines, this is where changing the rep ranges and changing the way you actually perform the technique can be useful. This can also be where manipulating rest periods can be useful. This is where maybe some of the things you might have read in muscle and fitness and bodybuilding.com the word the nuance might actually be useful. Maybe not, maybe so. But the other things that I just said are. So to put pen to paper on this, let's say you're training calves or forearms. Let's go with calves. And you don't have a good calf machine, but you have a good leg press. So leg press calves is a great option. What you can do is train, let's say, in the 10 to 15 rep range with a pause at the top and a pause at the bottom one day. Great. You can rest a minute between sets. Next day, you can do it in the 12 to 20 rep range with no pauses or with pauses and a 30 second rest period. Then on another day, you can do the 20 to 30 rep range also with no pauses or with pauses. I would probably recommend without pauses because it's going to take way too long. And again, with maybe 15 second rest periods and you can do it that way. So manipulating, I would say pausing and rep ranges might be a good idea. Those are two that I can give. Yeah. Uh, so say like that, let's use an example of you're in a home gym. So maybe that's why you don't have a lot of variation. Mm. So really easy fix for this. A, get a dip belt. You can load up like essentially belt, belt squat calf raises. Super effective. You can do single leg calf raises, single leg weighted calf raises. You can do long pause calf raises. Um, and there's there's very there are research showing that you actually changing just the angle of how you point your foot changes how it affects calf recruitment. So if you really want to get down to the nitty gritty, you can have toes out, toes in, and toes neutral. And that can all be separate variations on top of also changing your uh, rep ranges, which is a great one. You know, if 10 to 20 feels stale, go 20 to 30. It's probably going to blow you up. If you're doing 20 to 30 and that feels stale, go 10 to 20. If you want to, uh, I would recommend doing this with longer pauses just for safety reasons, but train in like the 8 to 12 range. Yeah, you You can change your your tempos as well. You can do an extra slow eccentric. I don't mess with the concentric, but you can do an extra slow eccentric, negative lowering of the weight, and then a regular eccentric. So yeah. I think in, in bullet point format to give it to you, you can manipulate rest periods, you can manipulate tempo, you can manipulate rep range, and you can manipulate pausing. 
Yeah. Right. Those those four are great ways that can buy you a long training time of variation. And also single single to double leg. You I was just going to say. Variation with just that. Yeah. Yeah. You could, like just so literally. With... I, I hate that one. So I chose to not include that. Oh. Well, you I suck. don't like that. Huh? And I said, well, it's because you suck. No, it's because the shit already takes me long enough as it is. I ain't unilateraling the shit too. It doesn't take that long if you just, if you just switch them. Yeah, it's not. It's not like you're out of breath when you do calf raises, and if you are, then do some damn cardio. No, 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 no. But it's just <laughs> I'm out of breath when I walk up. Yeah, my go back okay. and forth. <laughs> um, no, yeah, and I, I, I like that because I, I feel like people underestimate how creative you can get with just a step and either a weight belt or some dumbbells. How many variations you can do? You can do it bent over as well. Not that it makes a huge difference as opposed to standing straight up, but it's a little bit less load from your trunk. You know, it, it, there's so many things. And then single leg, double leg, and then all the different training modalities. So, yeah, I, I agree. You, 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 It is kind of fun sometimes because you have to get creative with some of this um, when yeah. you're limited with equipment. So, And you can make some, some great variations that way. Side note to what you just said, and it's, it's yeah, just a small aside. Sure. As, as perpendicular to the floor... Or, or parallel, I don't know what the direction is, when I'm doing calf raises, the happier I'm going to be. Calf raises where you're straight up, they all suck. In my opinion, they all stink. All Donkey calf, calf raises, raises forgotten stink. exercise, so good. What? Donkey calf raises. Right. And anybody can do that. So if you have access to a stair and your stair has a stair, oh my God, what is that called? What's the bar Rail? called? Is it called a rail on a regular stairs instead of stairs? Yeah. Handrail. Handrail, whatever. Yeah. So if you have one of those, <laughs> one of those motherfuckers, if you have one of those, the more that you can grab that to ultimately get just in the urge to saying bent over, because I don't want to say that. Um, that's 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 a good idea. Just a quick aside, my dog just got in my box of protein bars. Word up. Oh, That's no. You see just a huge ass fucking dog walking through the background. That's That's right. Jack Yorkie. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. We got some more here. Mm -hmm. uh, we we didn't touch on this one. The, the 10 to 20 sets question. No, correct? we didn't. How do you get 10 to 20 sets per muscle a week? I already feel fatigued with six to nine on five days. And this is from Musta TVRI. Yeah, he asked good questions. So 10 to 20, remember Musta is just a range. Wow, his name's Musta. DJ Musta. Musta on the beat. Um, Love DJ Musta. 10 to 20 is just a range. There's nothing magical about it. If you're doing six to nine per session, so you're getting 12 to 18 sets per body part over the course of the mesocycle, I think it's totally fine. Sounds great. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't so much worry about that. And I don't think that there's any problem with that because if I was only training five days a week, and let's say I was trying to actively get 10 to 20 sets per body part in a five-day split over five sessions, I don't think that I could. So I think your six to nine is probably right there. How do you get it? 10 to 20 sets? Add a training day. Maybe that's how you do it. Add a training day. Or if I really wanted to do it, I would just pick easy fucking exercises that require a lot of sets, and then I could do it. But like that's not actually what you're asking, and I know that. I'm just kidding. Well, also remember the 10 to 20 sets is just an aggregate average. Right. It, it, there, there are people outside on both ends. Right. right. You know, but you he's, getting, he's getting 12 to 18. 
Like he's right there. <laughs> yeah, he's with he. So he is getting twelve to eight. Like that's what he's getting normally. Is he do? Is he doing that many sets per week or per session? It sounds like he's asking, "How do I get ten to twenty? Because I'm doing six to nine. He's already feel fatigued. Six to nine. Six to nine per week. Yeah, but, he's asking how to get ten to twenty per week, right? Oh, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I maybe. Yeah, you it was six to nine. You might only need. Week. You might only need that. Yeah. I I am averaging. I don't think I've gone over nine sets of quads a week this year. Same. And my legs have grown consistently all year. All right. Well, I'll chime in here for the guy that doesn't have ginormous quads like <laughs> you guys. Uh, my quad volume usually goes up to about 15, 16 sets in a week. I'm sorry. Yeah, that sucks. You didn't. Yeah, it is what, what it is. Uh, two and a half minute lunges. Yeah, that makes sense now. It all it all makes sense. That's right. But no, for real though. Yeah, uh, exactly. 10 to 20 is just an <laughs> aggregate average. You might not need it. If you feel just beat all beat to hell, fatigued to the point you can't perform anymore when you get to nine total sets, there you right. go. That's what you need. That goes I, back to our first conversation. Yeah. Uh how how you have a friend who takes one to two sets on uh on some exercises. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I got to So this, my training partner and I, we, uh, for the holidays and stuff, we're kind of on off schedules, but this was his final week of training. So because I'm a good training partner, I went to for moral support on his last leg day. He did oh, three nice. total working sets, the entire wow. damn workout. Wow. He did one Why set of guy... deadlifts, a myo rep set of leg extensions and one set of pen of, uh, the Rogers pendulum squat. And wow. he could barely walk. He's strong, right? Relatively He's speaking. pretty strong, yeah. Yeah. How's his muscle growth response? I'm curious. Extremely good. Oh. Damn. The dude is like a hyper responder. Yeah. Yeah, sounds I know. That's interesting. And, and you know, and granted, that's yes, that's an extreme end of the bell curve. Right, right. But you always have those outliers and you could but be one of them. But to say that like yeah, you're getting, you know, 6 to 9 sets, you know, throughout every muscle group through your whole body. But wait a minute, hold on. Now 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 I feel like I did the guy a disservice cuz I rambled but I didn't actually give many advice. So, um Musa, some advice for you. If you're doing 6 to 9 sets a week and you believe that you should be doing more volume, but you can't, the first thing that you could do is probably do some cardio to get in better shape so you can recover faster so you can do more. Uh, the second thing that I would ask is how much time are you allotting? Are you doing six to nine sets, but you can only train for 45 minutes? You know, because if you're only training 45 minutes to an hour, five days a week, don't expect to do 10 to 20 sets per body part. Even with antagonistic supersetting, it's likely not going to happen. Yeah. So I, I think the only actionable thing that I can say, because I don't really have any more context, man, is get better cardio. <laughs> I, w I would be curious uh, if maybe next time he can uh, he can respond with another question or if he happens to have a YouTube, leave a comment. Oh, wait. Or maybe he's also training too close to failure. You might also be training too close to failure. And that's why you're doing six to nine tests because you can't handle it. Maybe you actually need to ease up a little bit. Uh, but I would be too. curious why he why he thinks he does. He think he needs it because that's what he hears. Because, might. again, if, if that's the case, then maybe he he doesn't need to do it. So I would just, mm -hmm. like, if you're progressing well, if you are gaining size, if you are gaining strength, and you feel fatigued at nine sets a week, I don't think you need to do more. Right. 
don't feel you have to hit a certain number, an arbitrary number. Just because These are just the average. averages based on a large population scale. One one thing I will add is uh, frequency. If you increase your frequency, it might make a small difference too of how much yeah. volume you can tolerate. That is a good point. You, well, that goes back to like Shimmy saying, you know, at a six day. Yeah, but we don't oh, know yeah. what his frequency is, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's really hard to answer this without context. There's so many questions that we yeah. can ask that would, you know, help us nail down the answer. But I think we can boil this down to: if you're making progress, don't worry about it. Yeah. If you're not, have you guys progress, have you guys ever seen have you guys ever seen the campaign with Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis? It's been a while, but I've seen it. Do you remember it? I was no? going to send you guys a clip from it, actually. It's one of my favorite movies. Do you remember it or no? I I, I have a like I don't remember every scene. I remember like so Will, the one so where they're listening to music. To, so context to the reference I'm going to make, and this is in line with what Trevor just said. So Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis are running a political campaign, running against each other uh, to become governor of this, this small state in in uh, I think it's North Carolina. So Will Ferrell, his his team makes an uh, like a hate ad against Zach Galifianakis. And they start talking about his facial hair. He's like, Zach Galifianakis has facial hair. Who else has facial hair? Saddam Hussein. Is he Al-Qaeda? Nobody knows. There's just too many questions. Well, you just and, got this canceled on YouTube. <laughs> and that's what you just I, said. I, when you were like, Musta, Musta, Mustafa. There's too many questions. That's what that made me think of. <laughs> the My favorite scene in that movie is when they're um one the one where the 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 family starts admitting like their the things they've done wrong it's like oh we got to come clean and then they all just start saying these horrible horrible things of course man he puts a, a butterfly or whatever in his asshole to make his farts glow <laughs> want to make his farts glow amazing <laughs> yes and then the other one is yes. when they when, when he's like can you give us some privacy and then they put in music and it's just like acid titties and like the song just playing over and over at the dinner table. God, it's so good. That oh, I need to rewatch so that movie. You need so to. And anybody watching, you need to watch it too. It's yeah, that was a good one. That was underrated for sure. Um, it's definitely one of the most underrated Will Ferrell movies. That's fact. Fact. Nobody right. talks oh, I agree. about it. I agree. Are you guys cool if I answer some yeah. of uh, the questions I got? Do you have a moment? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't mind. I don't... Did we finish all of the other ones? Um, I think there's like one or two more. Are they quick uh, or no? Let's see. Meow, 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 meow. Pros and cons of keeping RER constant versus progressing RER through a mezzo. Oh, I think that's pretty quick. Pro, you get awesome training and relatively hard training in the beginning. And that's cool. Con, you don't get the pulsatility of having easy gains in the beginning and not in training that hard and then really testing yourself and getting super, super hard training and potentially even more gains later on in the mesocycle. Uh, um, con, your training is harder earlier, so you may have to spend more time in the gym earlier on. Another con, it's boring because you're training at the same effort level and your mind will also lie to you. So what you think is 2IR or RIR in the beginning might not be 2RIR at the end, but fatigue has now compounded. Um, and so therefore you may not be able to think the same. Um, pro, you may get more soreness in the beginning and then the soreness kind of goes away and abates. Uh, the yeah, the point you made else? about uh, fatigue masking or uh, uh, fatigue. Masking your judgment, yeah. yeah. 
that that's actually one of my biggest things against it. You have two options. You either train to failure or like, cause if you, if you train to failure, you at least know if you don't train to failure and you're like, Oh, I'm going to go to two RIR. How do you know it's two RIR? And like you said, you the three weeks in, you have enough fatigue where, you know, suddenly what feels like a two RIR is actually a four RIR. Yeah. Five weeks it's actually a four, five RAR, you know, so you're, you're making your training easier over time. You're just so fatigued. You can't tell. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people say this yeah. because they're like, oh, well, judging RAR is confusing. Don't worry about it. Best guess week one. And then just beat that every week. Allow the progressions yeah. to li- lead you to your one to zero RAR. Yeah. Yeah. I At mean, the main, that way the you main know you're making progression. The main pro about it is that it's really simple, but yeah. The reason why it's so simple is also the reason maybe why it has issues. Yeah. Because, exactly. Yeah. And again, I think that if you just like best guess week one, I I don't think it's a lot more simple than just like, I'm going to add a rep every week. Yeah. Yeah. Plus you get to progress, which is awesome. Because a yeah. lot of the time those people hit a wall early on and then they ro- rotate. Yeah. Mo- in my experience, most people I've uh, talked to who have done like static RER training, um, not, not all, but most generally hit a wall in like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, I I, hate, I don't want to go off too much of a tangent, but um, do you know any individuals who say they train to failure and actually train to failure every session? Yes. Nope. How common is that? Not common. Not common at all. I know of them, but they're not common. Right. Yeah, I know people that say they do, but I've seen their training and I've seen their training on a consistent basis. So I don't believe them because yeah, that's what I was going to say. say I think they train to failure, but their performance is literally getting that's worse. Generally, yeah, that's generally yeah. what you see. Well, or they say they train to failure and you watch them train and you're like, failure to what? Yeah. And their measuring stick is like, well, I did like quarter reps at the end of the set or whatever it may be, right? It's just like yeah. there's no consistency. Uh, is another uh, way they can skirt around it. Um, okay, another question. Well, you can also skirt around it by using heaps of variation to master yeah, that. So yeah. that's actually oh, yeah. a really yeah, common mean, one. People that train to like failure exactly all the time. It is. I guess so, yeah. yeah. People that train to failure all the time, they can just change exercises every single time, and then it seems okay for them. Right. No, I agree. That was one thing I mentioned when you were talking about that prior, like a lot of the uh, JP right. crowd, they make a lot of variation to mask uh an ability to progress yeah uh my knees are injured that i can't lock out without squat without pain that wasn't really a question but oh there, there there's a part two to that uh oh. he asked if he could should oh there's not i see it here let me read it sorry <laughs> um so okay i'll read that other part is it a is it a better idea to avoid lockout or just stop doing squat entirely and wait for recovery? Is that the other part? Yeah, just don't squat. Now, if he means like he can't extend his knees, A, go see a doctor. B, yeah, I mean that like BFR leggings. And maintain, but if, if just don't squat, 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Word. All right, you guys cool if I uh, do some of mine? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, here, there's a few I wanted to address. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but I got called out by uh, uh, Victor Black earlier today. Really? For what? Uh, he said that I was using his intellectual property because I had a, a podcast with Joe Jeffrey and we talked about uh, safer use and first exposure and other Are practices. Yeah. Yeah. So someone asked a question that regarding that. No. <laughs> Victor Black is... I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about that later, Shemmy. Yeah, I remember when Victor Black did that podcast with Mike Isretel a few years ago. Yeah, I remember. It was a good podcast. It was a good Unfor- podcast. Yeah, unfortunately, kind of came back on it and did some stuff tor- towards Mike as well recently. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he just yeah. <laughs> my yeah, buddy I'll just talk said to you about that when we're not yeah. recording. Uh, thoughts on sure. black models and copyrighted term first exposure. Uh, just just. Just for reference, I looked up the trademarks. He doesn't own any of the trademarks, so I don't know what he's talking about when he says uh, he has these trademark terms. I think he's just going around saying that he owns it as intellectual property, but doesn't legally own the rights to any of the terms. Actually, is he related? Of... Is he related to Sirius Black? Uh, totally, of course. Who's that? Is that a? It's a Harry Potter reference. Oh, I, I guarantee you, he's not a porn star, Dylan. That's what I thought. I'm sorry. I guarantee you Sirius Black is not an adult film star. No. But he could be. Sounds like it. Um, I actually think I might be blocked by Victor Black on Instagram. I was blocked by him originally. And then I was like, hey, do you can I consume your content still? And then he's like, yeah, sure. And then he did this. I was like, whatever, if you're going to pay me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, eh, yeah, whatever. So not much comment on that. Honestly, uh, anybody who limits their reach by calling people out and spreading uh, negativity yeah, and I think he's frozen again. Sorry. God damn, Dylan, your Arizona Wi-Fi. I dude, it, it really is. Like this one company just like owns uh all of Arizona and they monopolize <laughs> it and it's terrible. Um anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anybody it's really who really not a word. Uh, yeah, we have no idea what you just said. Yeah. Uh can you hear me now? Yes, for now. Yeah, okay. for now. All right. All right. Sorry. Jeez. I'll, I'll look at <laughs> I'll look at upgrading my Wi-Fi. Um. Uh. Yeah. I, I guess anybody who limits their reach by like calling people out or saying that they own certain terms, like you could be doing a lot better job of spreading yeah. positivity and helping your message get out to other people by collaborating instead of calling them out. But just wanted to throw that out there. Um. Also, I I just want to throw it out there. Um. I think that. Joe Jeffrey has been around longer than Victor Black. Yeah. I so if Victor Black is claiming that he was the one that like came up with that. I'm I've followed Joe for I don't know, since like 2016. Yeah. Like when he very first started YouTube. So and, and everybody's helping collectively to spread a positive message. I, yeah, I and that's I the don't thing. See why. The day, it's like, yeah, you're and I know Shimmy's a little out there on this, but you know, it, all these guys are trying to make the enhanced side safer. And all of them and all of them do credit him as well. Like if they have the opportunity to, they do. I just yeah. don't see it's 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 confusing to me. Yeah. Do you think he's related to Jack Black? Definitely not. Jack Black's too cool. <laughs> oh no, Trevor, you're you're next. <laughs> what about what about Coffee Black? 
Do you know who that is? No. Coffee Blake, Dylan? is that an actual person? Dylan? Is that an actual person or are you trying to troll me? That's Andre 3000's character in Semi-Pro. Oh, really? Oh. I don't remember the, the I don't remember his character. Jimmy, Jimmy, do you just, uh, do you look at like Rotten Tomatoes aggregate scores of like 30% or below to pick what movie you want to watch? So it's another Will Ferrell movie and I know all of his movies, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was that surprising. Like, no, it's it's Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, okay. chances uh, are with me it's going to be Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis, Ben Stiller, like, yeah. Those are usually good bets for comedy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, another one. I think you said before you don't you didn't agree fully with Mike's take on Anavar only cycle beginners if I'm correct about that and uh, don't mind answering why is that and what's your alternative uh, just genuinely curious if I I understand if no PED talk uh, no I'll I'll touch on this really quickly uh, just because I think um, there's a few things I I don't I don't think it's a, a, a black and white uh, and or or I think it's just that uh, Anavar and orals tend to be a little bit more risky. Um, they tend yeah, to not right, remi- right. You said oral. Okay, keep going. And right. uh, and oral oral steroids tend to be a yes. little bit more risky. <laughs> they tend to uh, they tend to not uh, aromatize sufficiently into estrogen. Estrogen tends to protect a lot of our uh, tissues. It also uh, allows us to grow muscle. Um, they also skew lipids and have uh, uh, toxicity to your liver as well. So yes, they may not be super suppressive. Uh, but if you took a lower, uh, 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 a shorter uh, half-life ester of testosterone, such as propionate, it would be in and out at the same period of time. Uh, but you would be actually exposing yourself to the reality that you have to uh, make a decision of injecting yourself, which I think is is really important because I think you need to really okay. understand that seriousness of that decision. And um, and I think you'll have the same. You'll you'll be able to recuperate uh, very similarly from a, a small exposure. So I think his argument was like, oh, you do four weeks, you can get off. That a PCT again, not guaranteed. It is likely that you will be able to, but there there are some people who do there's experience always that person. exactly. Um, so there's always a risk involved anytime you take any of this stuff. Um, and I think that it just the reality is that you could also do the same thing with a shorter ester testosterone, which is much safer and is a bioidentical hormone, and uh, you can do very similar things, accomplish very similar things. So within the framework that I generally work with, I think it's just a I, I can't even say the word safer. It's uh uh a better choice um generally speaking but i don't think it it is and or or and i think you need to be able to assess the risk yourself yeah that would be my that would be my answer to that um uh, i think we touched on this before opinions on allocation of volume when it comes to lengthen versus shorten work for hypertrophy uh i would say just generally bias the lengthen position when you can that, that would be it I, I agree, but I think um, with all the stuff on like lengthen uh, stuff coming out, people are going a little bit too far street swinging in that end of the spectrum, just like we always do in this industry, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, if it's not lengthened overload, it's not worth doing. Right. I think that there, so in general, if you like take a, like a really short bias exercise and a really lengthened bias exercise, the really lengthened bias exercise is generally one, you can use uh, heavier loads, two, it's going to cause more muscle damage. The really short bias exercises are going to one, require a lot lighter loads, and two, they're going to be, uh, they're going to drive more metabolite accumulation. 
So if you're like, okay, I'm going to design a program where I'm going to use 100% length and overload exercises. I think you're you're likely going to run into an issue of you're not going to be able to recover or you're going to have to train with a frequency that's going to hold yourself back. Trevor, can so, you uh, tell me some exercises in your program where you're actually training in a shortened position besides, say, a spider curl? Uh, leg extension. Uh, but it's not the case because in the leg extension, you're putting enough pads behind there to get as big a range of motion as you can. But it's still overload. I fail at the top. I can't extend. Like short and overload. Still generally trying I to think, bias the length. Yeah. Where where but, the but most the reason the reason why I asked the the reason why I asked that is the following. Irrespective of Milo's research and anything that's come out, I personally have always had a bias for as big of a range of motion and an exercise as I can generate. So for me, in every exercise that I do, whether it be a push down, whether it be an incline dumbbell curl, a lying hamstring curl, a calf raise. I'm always seeking to go to very big end ranges. I am and, too, but this is a different conversation and I can explain why. Okay. Uh, with if, if you pay attention, what people are falling to now is uh, doing tons of length and only partials where they're, they're like, oh, well, instead of pulling all the way down to pull down, I'm just going to do this top half because oh. this is the hardest part. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what I don't think we need to be doing. I'm, yeah. I'm saying that we can still use these exercises that they're actually, even if we're extending the range of motion, they're biasing the shortened range because that's where the tension is the highest. So, so a spider curl, a leg extension, a lying hamstring curl, basically any kind of pull down, uh, uh, lateral raises with dumbbell, right. Uh, right. depending on how yeah. you think. No, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen and I really haven't tried any um, well, I do think the there might be, always complete. I think there's some use and maybe some of the length and partial stuff if you want to mess around with it. Yeah. I think that we're so far in the direction where that's so all people are focusing on. I think you have to remember that using exercises that are more short biased are one, they're good at fatigue management and they're good for frequency manipulation. That, that's interesting. That brings up an interesting thought for me, but go on and then I'll, I'll touch on it. Well, so say if you need to, if if you're doing, you know, so the kind of the way I'm using it now, I have three days of bicep training. Two of those days, one day I'm using an incline curl, the other way, day, I'm, another day I'm using an away cable curl. That middle day, though, I'm using a spider curl because it's less damaging. Yeah. So I'm going to accrue say. less muscle damage. I'm going to accrue less fatigue from it, but I can still get a robust stimulus. I like that so a lot. I'm using it as a module, a way to modulate fatigue and or modulate frequency and manage fatigue. But you yeah. could also equate the damage by just doing an extra set or two, right? What, as compared I, to the other ones. Like, what do you mean, though? Meaning, if you're gonna say if, if you're gonna get messed up, say doing three sets of incline dumbbell curls, you probably could get the same messed up by doing four or five sets of the spider curls, not doing three. I think okay. you missed my point. I may, I may have. My point was that if I tried to do another, it, like another very lengthened exercise that third day, it would be too much muscle damage, and I wouldn't be able to recover on time to do three times okay. a week. Okay, I got you. So using the spider you. curl is a way to get a robust stimulus without causing as much damage. I gotcha. In the context, you're getting an adequate amount of 
stimulus in you know a few sets yeah. with that exercise it's still a good exercise right yeah exactly my, my main point of all this was to say i think people are taking it so far to the extreme where they're like oh if it's not lengthened overload it's useless yeah well and i think that's a mischaracterization of, of milo's work too because he even said like if, if you're doing that you're definitely betting on the area where we have uh not a lot like there's a little bit of a, a gap in the research right yeah like we have yeah, a good idea he's working right now yeah, we have a good idea that biasing the length and position is probably, you know, uh, potentially causative of muscle growth. Um, but he said that you'd be going out on a whim to only do to lengthened partials, basically, or yeah. only do lengthened exercises. And I think, like like Trevor said, there's there is some application for training other ranges, and and I think that's a really really useful application that you mentioned. Actually, that didn't occur to me. Yeah. So sorry about that, Lorraine. But no, no, this, this, this is something that's been percolating in my head for a little bit now. Let me um, I'm going to do one more. And then because this uh, Morpsy asked a bunch of questions on here, uh, I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to just answer the rest of these on stories or maybe even just do a, another mini podcast that I release. Um, okay. Let me see yeah, if I can find a good one. Um, let's read through these. Um, I don't know if we want to roast anybody right now, so it's not gonna be individual people. Um I love cooking, man. Roast anytime you want. Uh well Terry asked where, where Shimmy got his beautiful uh southern accent from. Morpsy did. <laughs> um I I've been around, man. I I've been around. I've hung out in many a saloon and honky tonk honky well, tonk bars. Huh? You you kind of travel Big along the south the there for work, right? That's right. That's right. Travel along the south bank. Yeah. Close My dad's actually river. from uh, Dublin, Georgia. Dublin, Ireland. Georgia. <laughs> the 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 less impressive dub, uh, Dublin. That's right. Uh, okay. Uh, here, let's just do a nutrition one because we don't do a lot of those. Do you prefer to keep calories constant every day or cycle something like TD diet and NTD diet? What's uh, a training day, non-training day diet? That's a good question. I keep mine constant. I don't I don't have, I know RP, especially on the app, has the uh, your training day calories or carbs and your non-training yeah. days. I personally don't have any pulsatility there. I keep mine the same training day or non-training day. I largely do too. I might end up with a little bit less on a non-training day, but that's mostly just because I forget to eat a meal. Yeah. I, I basically eat one less meal on a non-training day, but that's just because my schedule kind of allows it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't... I My standard recommendation for clients is to not uh, have separate training and non-training days unless we get to a point where we have to find a way to cut calories and we're trying to right. on performance. Right. Because yeah. it's just more effort. Definitely. Right. I agree. I, um... I, I've also found so non-training days versus training days. And I found anecdotally that when I would have a day where I didn't train and I ate less. When I came to my next training day, I didn't have as much energy. I didn't feel no, as no. good. Yeah, you're more gassed. 
Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, think mar- marginally, but yeah. yeah. Right. It's not huge. There's, some, but... there's something to be said on your rest day that maybe getting some extra nutrition and getting some extra sleep might help with recovery a little bit. I actually, one thing I'll say is um, yeah, the whole idea of um, even beyond necessarily just calorie cycling, but when you're talking about specifically like macronutrient cycling and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to eat like the same calories roughly, but I'm eating a lot less carbs on my off days because I'm not training. Um, and there's all kinds like, you know, people come up with all kinds of like reasonings, like the big one is insulin sensitivity, which is, I'm not going to get into that, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, I think largely you would probably do better to uh, eat less calories, but similar amounts of carbs if possible on a non-training day than you would to specifically cut your carbs on a non-training day. Yep. So, and, and I, I do agree with that a lot. And it seems like some of the research I've seen uh, keeping similar meal times and keeping similar macro compositions of the meals, uh, especially when dieting tends to help with satiety a little bit. Um, yeah, so there's something to, be said, something to be said for that. I do sometimes, uh, especially in an off season, allocate a little bit more fats on rest day. Although I guess still there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, a little bit, I, I will allocate sometimes a little more fat, especially in the off season on rest days, uh, with the context that I've informed, uh, if I'm working with someone just to kind of throw that out there with the context I've informed someone, they can kind of, you know, play around with their carbs and fats and doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to their progress just so that they can have more, uh, I might allocate more fats just so they can have more, uh, free meals, like, uh, potentially go out and have some more fatty food. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be honest when it comes to working with clients, I, if they're, if they're, maintaining or uh, massing depending on how serious they are um i'll at the very least tell them protein and calories yeah yeah just you know what and that's that's really good you're and you're much better at that than i am i think i'm still learning in that regard but i think that's really smart yeah because i mean and that's the thing is like if you want to go out to eat like you can get you know say you have 1500 calories to play with you can go out anywhere and get a meal hundred calories but if you have 60 grams of fat in a day, you're going to have a hard time finding it. Like, right. unless you're not and you, and you think that carbs. that's, you have to do that versus, yeah. you know, oh, I can just play around with my carbs and fats a little bit and it won't make very much difference on my yeah. progress, especially yeah. if it's one day. Especially if it's just, you know, outside of pushing to the absolute extremes, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I agree. Yep. And, and one last sure thing, I, and, and I will say I have played around and I'm sure all of you guys have as well with uh, veering and it just doesn't make a whole lot of a difference because at the end of the week, your average of your calories really makes the most of the difference. So yeah. you could literally just average it out sure. and it, it would be the same. Um, so, some people psychologically, it works well for them. Some it doesn't. I don't think there's any benefit for recovery or performance for the most part. And there may be a slight detriment, but even then it's very marginal. Um, yeah. I just like the I just like the simplicity of having the same calories every day. Just a lot easier. Oh, I, I do remove I, a workout I, shake on my rest day. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll like no no workout shake or reduce protein yeah. shake. But yeah, it's like for me the you know, if we want to go back to diet tips, should me ask me if I have any. Make things as automated as possible. I like that a lot. The more you have to sit and think about every single day the harder it gets. Oh, yeah. Imagine having like three different splits of your calories and you're trying to fit everything in and plan out your day. Oh, yeah. Like like the old school uh, carb cycling of like loading. Oh, I've done that. High days. 
Yeah. That's so annoying. And there's so mm -hmm. much extra added stress. How many grams of rice do I cook dry? Like, oh, oh that shit is so annoying. And people think that they're so smart when they do that. <laughs> and they yeah. love to tell you what kind of, they love to oh. tell you what kind of A they have, right? Like, no, bro, today's like low day. So, like, I'm burning tons energy's of fat. Low, feeling flat. You know what I mean? And it's truly just the psychological, like what they associate with low day. Yeah, yeah, and and then there's the whole like, you know, you have six six low days and one high day of like a thousand grams of carbs. It's like you could probably just spread those carbs out throughout the and not week. be miserable for the whole week. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, and, and sure. it's funny because the the people that do that are the same people that bash on like the old school like. Uh, eat super strict, super clean meal plan six days a week and have a cheat day, cheat day oh, on the last day. It's like you're doing God. the same damn thing. It's literally so. I, I, that's a huge thing. And we'll, we'll close with this, but, uh, Mac, like, like bodybuilders saying, Oh, I, name a bodybuilder that does macros. I'm like, What do you think when Chris Aceto gives his clients muffins? What is that? How is that any different than if someone who's doing macros? It's the same thing. Yeah. It all ends up as glucose and fructose yeah. and amino acids. Oh, God. I, 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 let's end up on this because it's the same note. Um, and this is just kind of a, uh, a exercise to think about a little bit. Um, sure. If you hear this from the same people, that's like, oh, bodybuilders don't do macros and stuff like that, especially the bodybuilders that like worry a lot about like what foods they're eating. Um, if somebody were to eat all of their carbs from rice or no, all their carbs from potatoes, sweet potatoes, white potatoes, whatever, or all of their carbs from gummy bears. Over a six month time frame, do you think there would be any difference? Shimmy? Uh probably not. See, I'm actually this is I actually think there'd be a difference. Well, okay, outside of appetite and potentially uh, blood pressure, marginally. Uh, the reason yeah, look, I think he, he, there's nuances here. Well, and but so the reason I think right? is not because of that. It's because I think that your training performance would be worse because of uh, um, more fluctuations of blood sugar. Okay, I can see that. And so over a six month time frame, it makes. But th at the same time, it's like the reason this is just a little like dumb exercise. What if what if you added gummy bears for six months? What if you added metamucil with the gummy bears? True. I don't know if that's actually true because you'd be probably structured the amount of carbs have gummy bears before your session and during and after so your blood sugar would kind of already already be yeah but then but then the, maybe you don't have any for the rest of the day and your blood sugar is crashing you need to have blood sugar throughout the day if you want to maximize performance over a long haul yeah what if you what yeah, if you it's consume... a dumb exercise but it's just a i know it's because nobody actually eats yeah, like that years ago. nobody actually eats like that ever yeah i heard but... it on a podcast too years ago where they were talking about why macros are dumb and i was like well this is a dumb thing but in a in a controlled setting maybe it would make it wouldn't make a huge difference but it would probably still have some a impact. small difference what if you consumed metamucil with the gummy bears i think that would actually uh, ameliorate some of the issue <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, oh, okay next prep the, diet here we go it's like uh, <laughs> bodybuilding.com this form like how ifom started like you're eating nothing but pop tarts whey protein shake and metamucil all day Thank God. Yeah, see, 
when it goes to that extreme, yeah, it's a problem. But nobody actually, if it fits your macros, people don't eat like that. Like, I mean, maybe some do, but. In practice, started in the forums. Were you around when that happened? Yeah. Me? When it, yeah. What? I was. I wasn't in the forums. I like learned about it after. I should when have been I in the forums. I am first like took off. It was actually a thing where people were legitimately like, oh, they yeah, took it to an extreme. Yeah, like, I personally like, and they were doing it because like, oh, they're proving a point. And yeah, yeah, it's funny because there's a lot of them that are like natural pros now. They're like, yeah, that was stupid. Right. It was the worst experience of my life. Yeah, and I again, in reality, now most people have a balanced diet where they have some fun food. Yeah, and. It's, and it's the whole pendulum swing effect. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. I'll let you guys get out of here. Thanks for staying on so long. It's nice talking to you. Um, yeah. Always. Are always. we doing uh, next week or I'm, I'm assuming it's holiday. So I don't let's know talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about okay. that. I'm here okay. for it, bro. I'm committed. I don't give up. I'm here. No days off. No I don't need sleep. to talk about it. I know I'll be here. Yeah. No All sleep. Day. No sleep. <laughs> Team no sleep. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening. Talk later, guys.